So today, we are going to finish this four-month study through the book of Genesis. Uh, We have come to the end. 50 chapters today, we're going to cover 48 to 50. As you will notice today, as we are finishing up these chapters, this book, it ends with expectation. Joseph says, God will visit you. God will visit you. And these expectations are based on the promises that we've seen from Genesis 3 all the way to the point we are right now. Yet, yet, these promises are unfulfilled. These promises that we've seen, that, that you're going you're gonna to have a land, that you're going to be a great people, that you're going to bless the nations. We've seen semi-fulfillments of all of these, but now we, we end in a hopeless situation. But the good news for us is that we know the outcome. We know the outcome. If we were to just turn a, a chapter further in our Bibles, we know that God has visited his people. He has redeemed them from slavery, from Egypt. Yet many times we struggle. I'm I'm assuming these Israelites who are in Egypt now, Joseph dies. I'm assuming their struggle. There's there's just wondering, God, are you going to show up? Are you going to visit? And in life today, You know, as we think about our last week, as we think about this last year, as we think about this season we're in right now, you may be feeling hopeless and lost. But I want you to to be encouraged. I want the scriptures to encourage you today that you can trust God's promises regardless of where you are, regardless of the circumstances, this season of life you are in right now. Today in our passage, we'll see the people of Israel, they experience the death of, of Jacob and Joseph. Yet, they're reminded that God's promises are sure. And ultimately, we're reminded that all of these promises find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. So our big idea today is trust God's promises. Super simple. Trust God's promises. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now expectant. God, we know you use your word by the power of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. So God, we, we plead with you. Oh God, would you, would you speak to us through your word right now? God, we need you. Lord, this, our, our lives are broken. We live in a broken world. And God, we need you. We need you to, to speak to us. God, we need this word to come to life in our lives, to convict of sin, to to show us who we are in light of who you are. So God, would you reveal that to us today? God, would would you give us hope today? God, would you allow us to rejoice in the gospel and rejoice that you will visit us? So Father, now we pray that your spirit would lead in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Really, really three, three exhortations from this passage today. Yes, trust God's promises, but as we see, chapter 48 begins with recounting God's promises. So let us recount God's promises. In verses 1 through 5, this is what we read in chapter 48. If you don't have a Bible, 
I would encourage you to pick one up in the pew in front of you. We just stocked those up this morning. So, hey, and if you don't, if you, if you need a Bible, take one of those. And we want our people, we want you to be in the word. We want to be people of the word. So chapter 48 begins with these words. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and set up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make, you of, make, you, make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. You see here, Jacob recounts God's promises as he's about to bless Joseph's two sons. This is what he remembers of God's promises and shares with Joseph. They're the same promises given to Abraham and Isaac. These promises are being passed down from generation to generation. And he says, God Almighty appeared to me in verse 3. God Almighty appeared to me. This is something the Lord continues to do in Jacob's life. Jacob the scoundrel. The one who, who, who cheated. The one who lied. God appears to him. And this is what he remembers. Behold, verse 4, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. You will be fruitful and you will multiply. This is that same mandate given to humanity in Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply here. God says, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you, I will make of you a company of peoples. I'm going to make you a huge nation. I'm going to make you into a great people. And then third, he says, I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. This land that we've been hearing about again is recounted. The land is yours for an everlasting possession. And so Jacob recounts these promises that God has shared with him. And then in recounting these, these promises, Jacob actually blesses Joseph's sons. In verses 6 to 14, first we see that Jacob actually, it, it seems as if Jacob adopts Joseph's sons as his own. He says, they're mine. Ephraim and Manasseh are mine. They're, they're really, they're taking the place of Reuben and Simeon. So now he is going to bless them. He, Joseph presents them to his father. And, and Jacob, Jacob says, to see your face and to see your sons, I never thought it would happen. I thought you were dead. Never thought I'd see you again. Yet here we see that Jacob meets not only Joseph, but also his grandchildren. It's, inter it's interesting, as we see this blessing in, in 15 to 20, it's interesting, I'm going to read it, and it's interesting that, that in Hebrews chapter 11, that the writer of Hebrews points out this about Jacob's faith, the blessing of Joseph's sons. Out of all the other things that Jacob accomplished, this is what he points out. That, that Jacob blessed Joseph's sons and bowed over his staff is what 
Hebrews eleven twenty one says. He had faith. He had faith that God was going to pass these blessings on to the next generation. He knew that God was going to multiply and fulfill all of these promises. So as we read this, verses 15 to 20, listen to Jacob's blessing. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So here we see this blessing. We see, again, the, the younger is before the older. The older will serve the younger. We've seen this throughout Genesis. Jacob and Esau, I mean, that was fresh, right? Jacob knew this. He'll be blessed. He's the one that's going to pass through. Now Ephraim over Manasseh. As we, as we see Jacob recounting God's promises, he, he points out, and in this blessing, he calls God, he says, you're the, you're the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. You're the God who's been my shepherd all my life long. You're the angel who's redeemed me from all evil. He is, just, he is just blessing God. He's, he's remembering who God is. He's the God of my fathers. The God who's been my shepherd. He's the angel who redeemed me. Jacob is remembering and recounting. You see, as, as we see Jacob recounting God's promises, we can look at these promises and we know they've been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. You know, as we think about recounting promises, right? The land... Man, it's been fulfilled. There's going to be a new creation, a new, a new heaven and new earth. The nations have been blessed. Look around. Look around you. We're not ethnic Jews. We've been grafted in as Gentiles. That's been, that's been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. What gospel promises can you recount today? What do you need to recount today? That, that in Christ you have life abundantly? That in Christ you have fullness of joy. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we can't be separated from the love of God. That Jesus one day will return to gather his people. What gospel promises do you need to take to heart this morning? Jacob is on his deathbed recounting these promises. About to bless his children and then he will be no more. And he is, he's remembering who's God, who God is. The promises God has lavished on him. We need to recount God's promises. We need to recount God's promises today. But as we'll see in chapter 49, we also need to rejoice in them. We need to rejoice in the promises of God. 
The next chapter shows us Jacob blessing each of his sons. Some don't seem to be blessings as much as uh, just, just kind of predicting and saying this is what's going to happen to you. But what I want to do is I want us to walk through each of these, these kids and what Jacob says over their lives. Specifically, we're going to zoom in on Judah and Joseph. These, these promises, these blessings over Judah and Joseph should, should cause really an eruption of rejoicing in our life. Because we can look forward and we see exactly what Jacob was, was saying. We see them fulfilled and find their, their really full fulfillment in Christ Jesus. So let us rejoice in God's promises. Jacob blesses his sons. Listen to verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And then he begins. And we're just going to walk through each of these. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. I mean, that's good right there, right? Like, man, you're strong. You're mighty. You're preeminent in dignity and power. And then verse 4 comes. It's kind of like a, a built up and then a tear down. Unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. You see here, Reuben is said to be strong yet unstable. You remember back where it, where it said Reuben went and slept with his concubine, Jacob, Jacob's concubine. This disqualified him. We talked about that several weeks ago. So here we see Yes, built up and then torn down. Simeon and Levi are brothers, verses 5 and 6 and 7. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they, hum, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You see, when Tamar was mistreated we see that Simeon and Levi went and destroyed those men. They went and killed them. And this is going to be their future. Their anger is going to, going to lead them. Cursed be their anger. They're violent, angry, divided, and scattered. But then we come to Judah. We're going to, we're going to stay here for a few minutes. Judah, this is what, it, what Jacob says over Judah. J Judah is a lion's cub. No, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Sorry, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Here we see Judah is lifted up as the leader. Yes, Joseph got those dreams, right? And they bowed before Joseph, but we know that Judah will be the one that the brothers praise and the brothers bow down to. He is their leader. Then it says in verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? Here we see Judah portrayed as a lion. A lion. And if we were to zoom, zoom forward in our scriptures, we know that there is one who comes who is a lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5.5 calls him this. You see, John is, is standing there before the throne and there's, a, there, there's some scrolls that can't be opened and John starts weeping. 
He starts weeping. God, who is worthy? Who is worthy? And the elders lift up his head and they say, look, look. And, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. This is Revelation 5, 5. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ. He is the root of David. This is pointing to Christ. He's a lion's cub. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? He's the leader. He's the lion. And then verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Here we see him as royal king. He is the king, the scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. It's a royal scepter. It's not going to leave him. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. You see here, he is, he's Lord, he's king. Until tribute comes to him. And then listen to that last verse. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The obedience of the peoples. If we were to go to the Psalms right now and do a quick sketch of the Psalms, we would see this. The nations are called to rejoice. The nations are called to come to the lion of the tribe of Judah. The nations are called to obey. Over the next three weeks, after we finish Genesis this week, we're going to be in, the, in, in missionary psalms. We're going to look at Psalms 67 and 96 and 100. And these are psalms calling the peoples of the earth, come and rejoice. Let the nations be glad. Come and worship the king. And this is, this is what is promised here. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. These are, these are pretty strange verses. You're probably going, man, I don't know what this means. Like, what's going on here? Well, one of the one of the one commentator said this is this is really this blessing over Judah and his family and his lineage of abundance, of strength, and of power. Right? It, it, we're just seeing like he's washing his garments in wine. Like there's an abundance of wine his, in his vesture in the blood of grapes. Like there's just plenty here. His eyes are darker than wine. If you go to Revelation, you see this. In the one who's going to return, in Jesus, his teeth are whiter than milk. We see this, it's, it's his strength and his power is being declared here. This Judah that is being blessed here, we see this fulfilled in Christ. He is the leader, the lion, the Lord. That's who he is. And then as we go on, we see that Zebulun is next. The next few, as you listen to these verses, again, you're going to see this, this uh, repetition of abundance and blessing. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. We see that he's providing blessing and haven to these ships near the sea. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and the land was, was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Here we see a strong servant. Verse 16, we're, we're introduced to Dan and that blessing. Dan shall judge his people in one of the tribe, as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that the, his rider falls backward. 
I'll wait for your salvation, O Lord. He's a judge. It says he's a serpent. Verse 19, Gad, raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Right? He's a raider. He's going to prosper. Uh, verse 20, Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Rich food and royal delicacies and abundance there. Naphtali is a doe at let loose that bears beautiful fawns. We see fruitfulness here. And then this, we have two more, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph here, this blessing. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. This, this, this just uh, tree that's growing by a spring. One, one pastor alliterated this, his fruitfulness, his foes, his faith, and his fullness, right? So we're going to see that here. His fruitfulness, he's a tree by a spring. His branches run over the wall. And then we're introduced to his foes. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. You see this? We see that God's protecting against the foes. He's mighty. He's the shepherd. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you. We see that God is protecting Joseph against his foes that are going to come. And then again, we see his faith. His faith, he's trusting in God, by the, by the Almighty who will bless you, by this, by this shepherd, by the stone of Israel. And then his fullness, as we, as we follow up, as we finish this, his fullness. Listen to how many times blessing is, is called out over Joseph. Verse 25, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who's, who was set apart from his brothers. You see this? Just this abundant blessing on Joseph. And as we know, God was doing this work. God preserved life through Joseph. He, he sent him ahead. Although it's done in evil, God meant it for good. We rejoice in this. We see the outcome. And then Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Here, ravenous and devouring wolf. We see this in Judges. If you were to go see Benjamin, man, he, there's just some terrible stories written about the tribe of Benjamin. I encourage you to go read them and just see kind of the background, the context around that. But as we recount these, these promises in 49, as we see these blessings, as we know the outcome, as we see the promises really to Judah and Joseph being fulfilled in Christ Jesus, let us rejoice let us rejoice in these promises. From the line of Judah came the king of kings, the royal king who would receive the obedience of all peoples. This was made possible through his death and resurrection. You see, through Christ's death, we can be brought into this family. We can be recipients of all these promises. And as recipients of these promises, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Our, our rejoicing, right, as we think about rejoicing in these promises, really leads to what we see exemplified in Jacob and Joseph's lives as they come to an end. As we, as we look at this final chapter, 
we see really Jacob and Joseph trusting, trusting in God's promises. So let us trust God's promises. Let us trust God's promises. Jacob's trust is really exemplified in how he dies. How he dies. At the end of chapter 49, Jacob instructs his children, hey, I want to be buried in the promised land. I want, to be, I want to be buried in the cave that Abraham bought for Sarah. Jacob, although he's in Egypt, he is expressing trust and faith that God will bring them back. So that's where he wants to be buried. He is, he's fully expecting God to fulfill the promises that he's made. As, as chapter 49 draws to a close, we see that he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. We see this, this just, this family, man, they were, they were so tight-knit at the end. Joseph is crying, weeping over his dad. And then this elaborate funeral is described. It's extravagant. There's 40 days for the embalming process. There's 70 days of weeping over the death of Jacob. In chapter 50, we see that, that Joseph goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, can we take my dad back and bury him in the promised land? And Pharaoh grants, yeah, grants it. He's like, yeah, you can do that. In this great procession, it says a great company went to Canaan. And, and the Canaanites, it says in verse, in verse 11, the Canaanites saw the morning on the, flesh, the threshing floor of Atad. They said, this is a grievous morning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. So we see this elaborate, extravagant funeral. But in the end, we see Jacob is buried in this cave. And then the family returns back to Egypt. Jacob's trusting. Jacob is trusting in God's promises. He believes that God is going to stay true to his word, that he's going to be faithful. Not only do we see Jacob trusting, but we also see Joseph trusting as Genesis comes to an end. Look at verse 15. We're going to read 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers in their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Listen to Joseph's response. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, Joseph is trusting in God's sovereign hand. You know, as, as we've seen, verse 20 has really marked Genesis and really marked the last, the last 13 chapters. The brothers here, they express doubt in Joseph's forgiveness and goodness. So they decide to make up a story. Hey, hey, Joseph, 
before Jacob died, before our father died, he said, you should forgive us. They're doubting him. They're doubting his goodness and his forgiveness. And we see Joseph's response. He weeps over this. He's, he's just thinking, man, I've, I've, I've loved you. I've cared for you. I've brought you here. He's saddened by the mistrust of his brothers. And then he explains. He says, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. For am I in the place of God? Again, like, again Joseph is just, he, he's just modeling this dependence upon God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not Joseph's to take. Paul tells us, Paul tells us to, to trust in the Lord in that matter. Vengeance is his. And then he says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Yes, you meant evil. God meant it for good for the salvation of people. Don't fear. Don't fear. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to comfort you. And he spoke kindly to them. Question for us as we're processing this. We see doubt in the lives of, of Joseph's brothers. As as followers of Christ, where do you doubt? Where do you doubt God's forgiveness and goodness to you? Do you, do you truly believe you've been forgiven of all your sins? Or do you continue to run back with doubt over his goodness? Does does God still hold that horrendous sin against you? No. God washes us white as snow. Why is God allowing me to suffer? Right now we have many in our congregation who are going through health problems. Do they, are they questioning God's goodness? Are they questioning God's kindness? even in the midst of suffering. In the midst of death, we've had several who have experienced death of loved ones over the past few months. Is he really good? Jesus wants and desires to take all that burden away. He's the good shepherd. He is kind and loving. He stands at the door and knocks if you're an unbeliever in here, if you haven't followed Jesus and you're still weighed, by, weighed down by your burdens, he stands at the door and knocks. Open up and he'll provide rest and comfort. You see, the, these brothers, they mistrusted Joseph. Joseph was a man, so he could sway to the left and to the right, but our God does not change. He is faithful he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And today is the day of salvation if you'll turn to Jesus. Jesus, as we've already mentioned, Jesus has taken our sin on the cross, yet he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And now if we'll put our faith and trust in him, you can taste and see that he is good. Joseph exemplifies great forgiveness and love towards his brothers, how much more, how much more does the Savior of the world offer forgiveness and love? Christian, if you're burdened today, if you're weighed down by circumstances in your life, oh, would you turn to Jesus and cast them at his feet? 
You can do that. He is a gentle and lowly Savior that desires to to bear them. (laughs) He will. Turn to Him today. As, As Genesis closes, and as we draw this book to an end, listen to verses 22 to 26. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. Listen to these words. I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. As Genesis draws to a close, we see Joseph trusting in God's promises. Joseph says, God will visit you. He will visit you and bring you up out of the land. This is what he promised Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac, and he will do it. Joseph is so sure that this will happen, that he makes his family swear to take up his bones from Egypt to the promised land. This is an act of, this is an expression of faith. In Hebrews eleven twenty two. this is what's pointed out about Joseph. You think about the last Four weeks, five weeks in the, in the life of Joseph, out of everything he did, this is what's pointed to as his act of faith in that hall of faith in Hebrews 11. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. He was trusting in God's promises. God will visit you and he'll bring you out of this land. But we see, we see Genesis ends with a coffin in Egypt. Genesis ends with a coffin in Egypt. As, as Eric comes back up to lead us in our final song, I want to read this quote to you. The story of Genesis that began with God creating a beautiful paradise on earth for his creatures, Genesis 1 and 2, ends with Joseph in a coffin in Egypt. That's how Genesis ends, waiting, waiting for God to bring his people back to the promised land. The promise at the end of Genesis is God will visit you. Joseph is dead. He's in a coffin in Egypt. And it begs the question, what will happen? You see, the original readers knew what was going to happen. They were already recipients of God visiting them. They were on their way to the promised land. God will visit you and he will bring you back to the land. They're on their way. They are about to enter into the promised land. Will God be true to his promises? If we were to just flip a few chapters, in Exodus we see God visiting his people. Joseph's bones that he had his family swear to take out, they're taken. We see them in Exodus that Joseph's bones are taken with the people as God rescues them from slavery. The book of Joshua ends with Joseph's bones making it to the promised land. God visited 
God visited. He brought them out. He redeemed them. And just as the first book of the Bible ends with a promise that God will visit you, the last book of the Bible ends the same way. John writes in Revelation twenty two twenty, He who testifies to these things says, it's Christ speaking, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Today as we recount God's promises, as we rejoice in God's promises, and as we trust in God's promises, oh, may we look forward to this day that God will visit us again. Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray as John did. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.